I thought Germany had released our our people, but Sam, where are you, Sam? You're taking your whole family to Germany. <laughs> so evidently Germany still has a grip on our fellowship. But we'll pray for you, Sam. <laughs> We're in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses is down to his final 45 days of life. Moses has been told by God he cannot enter the land of plenty, the promised land. And this devastates Moses. Because for 40 years Moses had led the children of Israel. He is the one that brought them out of Egypt. He took them through the wilderness to where they are this day, and they're camped out just east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Israel, after their 40 years of wandering, are finally ready to enter the Promised Land. It's interesting that Moses, who is about to die, is the oldest man in Israel at this time. He's 120. Caleb and Joshua are the only other two people that are over 60 years of age. They're probably near 100 years of age. But the entire population of Israel is 60 years old or younger. And there they are on the banks of the Jordan about to enter. Moses, as you remember, was eliminated by God from entering the land of promise because he struck the rock that represented Christ that followed Israel through the wilderness. And he did it when he was angry. We do very few things when we're angry that we're proud of. <laughs> uh, most of the time we do things that we're ashamed of. But this rock representing Christ and Moses striking the rock has misrepresented God before the people. Now, that may not be grievous to us, but it was grievous to God. And in the eyes of God, this was a sin that forbid Moses to now enter the promised land. And we looked at this several weeks back. It's important if you're a priest or a pastor or somebody that speaks forth for God to represent God the way he requires. We're not allowed to be willy-nilly about it. There are requirements, and Moses failed in one of his requirements. But Moses, he earnestly prayed, he even pleaded with God to allow him to enter the promised land. And God finally tells Moses, don't even talk to me about this matter anymore. Or, quiet down, Moses, you're not going in. <laughs> you know, and Moses could have pouted. He could have said, well, Lord, for 40 years I've led your people, and I've been faithful, and they've been a bunch of jerks. But Moses didn't do that. He didn't jump on the pity bus. Instead, Moses writes the entire book of Deuteronomy after God tells him no promised land. And Deuteronomy gives us the final instructions of God to his people through Moses. Moses 
is regarded as the greatest leader Israel has ever known. And so this morning we find ourselves in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. So let me read those. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. And the Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. He said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That being the first commandment, and then the nine other commandments follow this. But Moses begins with, hear, O Israel. And then he describes what hearing is. It's learning, observing, and obeying. As parents, uh, have you ever said to your child, listen to me? <laughs> How many times have you said that? My daughter will tell our precious little grandchildren, look at me, I'm talking to you. She requires that eye contact. It's not enough for them to, she wants to lock up with them. <laughs> so look at me, I'm talking to you. Hmm? Give, give you the evil stare there. <laughs> Verse 2, God made a promise, an agreement with all of Israel at Mount Sinai or at Mount Horeb. They're the one and the same. This is where God appeared to Israel. And he spoke audibly to the entire nation. And it scared the people so much that they trembled. I've been frightened by things like lightning and things like this, but I don't ever remember shaking or trembling because of fear. And I don't want to go there either. <laughs> but the people, they cry out to Moses, you speak to us and we will obey, lest the voice of God kill us. Now I find it interesting that the people were afraid to hear God's voice. They're deathly afraid. And Moses in verse 5 admits that he stood between the people and God because of their great fear. Moses, he's been a faithful leader. He's been faithful to declare God's word to the people, which happens to be the primary mission of a pastor or a priest. Simply declare the word of God. Our responsibility as pastors and priests is to hear what God has to say through his word to us and give it forth. That's it. The, we only have one textbook. It's the Bible. <laughs> you know, And it's got 66 sub-books, but we only have one textbook. And our message really is to be a simple one. It's simple if we allow it to be simple. 
Moses is not declaring in the book of Deuteronomy any new revelation from God to the people. He is only reminding them what God has already said. One of the greatest words of advice uh, I ever received before becoming a pastor was, you don't have to be a great speaker, but you need to be a good reader. If nothing else, simply read the word of God to the people. And that's important. Verse 6, we have God declaring who he is. I am the Lord you got, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and slavery. Egypt was not a pleasant place. In Israel's last days in the, the nation of Egypt, the Pharaoh has laid upon them rigorous labor demands. They're to make more bricks. They're to gather their own straw. And plus all the male children are to be killed by Pharaoh. And so they weren't to have male babies. Now, as believers, our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to be enslaved, if you bring that forward. We, he doesn't want us to be enslaved to anything even sin, and sin does enslave. Egypt represents sin in the scriptures. God doesn't want any of Egypt in us. And the Ten Commandments that are listed right after what we read in verses 7 through 21 point out ten definite things that God considers ready to enslave us, and he doesn't want us enslaved. But verse 7 is the primary commandment of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Obey that one, and the rest of them fall into place. Now, you may want to read through the Ten Commandments at your own leisure, but we've covered that ground already in the past. But allow me to direct you to verse 29 of chapter 5. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. God is declaring to Moses, if only my people had a heart for me, to fear me and to keep my commandments, then I would be able to bless them, bless my children for a very long time. No, he doesn't say for a long time. He says forever. An everlasting covenant made by God if we're obedient to him. That was Moses. That was about what 3,800 years ago. It's about 1,800 years before Christ. So let me get you to turn to Mark chapter 10 and we'll see what Jesus had to say about some of the commandments. Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 22. Second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. That's where you have to be. Mark 10, verse 17. Now as he was going 
out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered Jesus and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. A rich, young Jewish man comes running and kneels before Jesus. Good teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? This young man, he understood that eternal life was a gift from God. Eternal life is an overwhelming thought. I mean, you can, you can just marvel at the thought of eternal life. This young man wants to know... What must I do to go to heaven? That's what he's talking about. So Jesus' first question for this young man is, Why are you calling me good? There is only one who is good. And he's saying to this young man, Are you calling me God? Jesus is forcing this young man to consider his words. Verse 19 Jesus replies to this young man, You know the commandments. The same commandments that Moses has just spoken of when he's reviewing to the people. But notice, Jesus is asking about the six last commandments, the man-to-man commandments, which are the six last commandments. Perhaps Jesus knows already that this young man has been either faithful or unfaithful to the first four commandments that are between God and man. So Jesus is asking him, have you been doing on the man-to-man commandments? And he said, teacher, all of these commandments I have observed from my youth. That's quite a statement. I want to say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You haven't obeyed them all. Come on, nobody has. That's my perspective. But Jesus looked at this young man, and he loved him. His heart goes out to this young man. Now, if Jesus would have been talking to me, it would have been much greater than one thing you lack there would have been an extensive list of shortcomings of missing the marks. I don't like to admit this, but I have embellished the truth. But it was past tense, all in my past. I wouldn't do that today. 
I have purposely misled people before. Again, past tense. I wouldn't do that today. In other words, I've lied. I have taken things that I thought there were plenty of and said things like, oh, they will never miss one in whatever you put after it, one ballpoint pen, one notepad of paper, or whatever. So I've stolen. We won't get into uh, not respecting parents. I've done that one too. And I would be saying to Jesus, please stop. But this young man says, I've obeyed those from my youth. This was a young man of character that stands before Jesus. But as he answered that, I think he's having memories flood across his mind where perhaps he wasn't totally obedient to the commandments. But that's just my thought. But this interaction that is now going on between Jesus and this young man is not a rushed encounter. Jesus has taken time to, to talk with him, to visit with him. And he's asking him a question. And then Jesus tells the young man, there's one thing that you lack. One thing. For the young man had not obeyed the very first God to man commandment. To have no other gods before the living God. And Jesus tells him, go sell what you own, give to the poor, and the young man's wealth is what now stands between him and his salvation. And Jesus reminds him, you call me good, but there is only one who is good. Go sell what you have and give to the poor. Not, don't bring it back to me, give it to the poor. And the young man has a chance to put into action the first commandment, to have no other gods before God. And Jesus tells him, if you do this, you will have treasures in heaven, eternal life. The thing you came to me and asked about is there if you will simply go sell all that you have, give to the poor, because that will remove what hinders you from following God. And the man can't do it. And Jesus asked this young man whom he loves one more question. Come, after you've sold everything, come and follow me and live a life of selflessness. And don't we want this young man to say, yippee, I'll do that. And he, we want him to say, thank you, Jesus, for showing me the way to life, to everlasting life. But the story has a tragic ending. The young man goes away sad and grieved. And it says, for he had great possessions. Not only is this young man sad, so is Jesus. The heart of Jesus is sad. We realize that because now Jesus will talk to his disciples that follow him in verses 23 through 27. So let's look at those. 
Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but with God, for with God all things are possible. And we read these verses and we realize that Jesus doesn't want his disciples who are astonished. They're absolutely shocked at his word beyond measure. And he doesn't want them to miss the truth here. The disciples have a question and it's a great question. Who then can be saved? They're astonished because they realize Jesus has just eliminated every man-made possibility of being saved. It cannot be done by man. It's impossible for men to come up with a way, a method, a theory to be saved. You can't do it. Salvation belongs to to God. And guess what? It's a gift from God to us. For Jesus says, but with God all things are possible. And the path of salvation is the cross that Jesus spoke of in verse 21. Jesus spoke of the cross before he goes to the cross as the only method, as the only way of inheriting eternal life. It is the cross of Christ. Salvation, a feat which is impossible with man, but is completely possible with our Lord. This story is a sad story because the young man goes away some have speculated that later he comes to Jesus and will, is willing to follow Jesus. But we don't know that. That's pure speculation. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I think it's a sad thing today for any person, any group of person, any religion, any denomination to propose a way of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it's possible with me and with me only. So don't leave sad. We have the possibility of eternal life right before us. There will be people in the prayer room who will pray with you if you'd like to pray about salvation, eternal life. So don't leave here sad and discouraged. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, we are grateful 
that you provided a way of salvation. And Lord, don't let us be so foolish to resent the way, but let us embrace the way of salvation. Jesus, you suffered and died that we can have our sins forgiven and stand before you guilt-free. Thank you for that great privilege. Thank you, Lord, for providing that opportunity for us. And all we have to do is believe and confess. Thank you, Lord, for keeping it simple. Thank you for loving us so much. You loved us just like you loved that rich young ruler, Lord, and we are grateful for that. So we say thank you, Lord. So be with us this day. Uh, cause us to reflect upon the great gift of salvation in, on our, in our own hearts and lives. Do this good work in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Now, we do have our glorious potluck following. A lot of food. Join us. But let me give you a blessing before you leave. Or let me give you the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.